Good morning. Uh, welcome to those of you tuning in online and welcome to everyone here. Let me pray and then we're going to dive right into our Bibles together. Would you bow with me? Gracious Father in heaven, thank you. Um, Lord, thank you for the significance of this time of year and uh, what we celebrate, that you so love the world that you gave your only son to come, to be born, to become human, that he might die in our place and take upon himself uh, the wrath that our sins deserve that we might be utterly free from that and we might live not under your condemnation but under your, your blessing, your pardon. And uh, we are grateful and we pray you would help us to fix our minds and our hearts on those uh, eternal truths and cling to them tightly. And uh, pray that you would now by your Spirit come and meet with us, open our minds and hearts to your truth to embrace it, uh, enable us to sing and to praise you uh, for our joy and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Some of you were fully expecting me to say the book of Hebrews. That actually was my original plan. My original plan was that today would be the final message in our series, our journey through Hebrews, but like so many other plans in 2020, that plan got changed. So the plan now is to finish up Hebrews after the first of the year and after our week of prayer, we'll be returning to Hebrews. But we're not going to wander far from Hebrews, at least not thematically, um, because Hebrews is all about the greatness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born into this world uh, to free us from our sin and to rule over us for our joy. And today I want to highlight a, a key connection between the message of the book of Hebrews and this passage in Isaiah 9, which uh, we often quote and even sing at uh, Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Two weeks ago, uh, if you were with us or tuned in, we were in Hebrews chapter 12 talking about endurance one of everybody's favorite topics, enduring hard times. And we saw there in Hebrews 12 how very important it is that when we are in a hard time, that we think about it correctly, that we, we think truthfully about it, and, and, and not regard those hard times as something that's just completely random, but to actually regard them as discipline from our Father in heaven. Uh, not that the thing, the situation in and of itself is good, but it has a ultimate 
ultimately good purpose because discipline, though it's not pleasant, nobody particularly enjoys it, um, it's good for us. It is our Father using something we don't like to produce in our lives something we will like eventually. And so in Isaiah 9, we have this amazing prediction about Jesus' birth. And one of the things it predicts is that Jesus will be called Everlasting Father. And I want to take some time and think about that with you, what that means, and why that should encourage us and give us hope when, when times are hard. And I think for most people, we would agree that 2020 has been a hard time. And so um, I think, and my prayer is that God will use this to really encourage us in thinking about Jesus being everlasting Father. So let's, let's look at it. It's Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness or of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah made this prophecy about 700 years before Jesus was born. It was a very dark time in the nation of Israel. And God gave this promise to his people in a dark time to give them hope. In fact, if you go back earlier in the passage in in Isaiah 9, it says, the people who walked in darkness saw great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's, It's a passage about hope that this child who would be born would give us a future that we can be confident in, a future that we can look forward to. And these four titles given to this child in verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, those four titles explain why this child, why this son can give us a future that we would be looking forward to, that we would be very encouraged, we would be very hopeful about. He's wonderful counselor. That means he always knows what is best for you and me. He's mighty God. That means he's always able to do what is best for you and me. Well, what about that third title, Everlasting Father? What does that tell us about him? Let me ask you a question to get you thinking about it. What if Jesus always knows what is best for you? 
because he's a wonderful counselor. And he can always do what's best for you because he's mighty God. But he doesn't want to do what's best for you. Imagine, for example, you were at the, the beach and for some amazing reason, it happened to be a hot day at the beach. And you decided you want to go out there and take a little dip and swim around and cool off. And what you don't know is that there's a powerful riptide current. And you get out there and you get caught in it. And it's pulling you further and further away from shore. And you, can't, you cannot swim out of it. You're, you're helpless. And you look, and there on the shore, there's a lifeguard. And you can see that he sees you. And so you wave and you call for help. And you know he's fully qualified. Now he's got the red swimming trunks on. He's, he's all ripped. And you, can, you know he's fully qualified. He's, uh, he's got the strength. He's got the skills. He's got the equipment to save you. He knows how to help you, and He's able to help you. But then He looks at you and says, well, I don't know. That water looks cold. And you know, actually, I was just about to go on my break, so nope. Do you realize if Jesus, if Jesus looks at us in our predicaments, with anything like that kind of attitude, we're done. We are just done. A, a Messiah, a Savior who knows how to help us and has the ability to help us, but is not willing to help us, doesn't do us any good. And we would not call the message of His birth good news. And yet over and over again, that's exactly what the message of Christmas is called. So that angel that appeared to those shepherds outside of Bethlehem, he said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news. Great joy. Okay, think about it. That must mean more than that he knows how to save us. It must mean more that he's able to save us. It must mean that he's willing to. That he wants to. Otherwise, how would his birth be good news for anyone? Will you believe it if I tell you that Jesus wants to do you good, that it actually makes him happy to do you good. Well, you should believe it, and I should believe it, even in our hardest of times, because that's exactly the point of this promise that he will be called everlasting Father. It is a beautiful thing, it is a hopeful thing to know that Jesus is Everlasting Father. But it's quite possible that that doesn't sound like a beautiful, hopeful thing to you because maybe for you, 
Father is not a particularly comforting word. Um, Maybe it's kind of an oppressive word. Maybe your dad made fatherhood an unhappy thing for you by being unkind, being abusive, not affectionate, or maybe just not being there at all. This world is full of bad fatherhood. We all know that. Some of you know it very well. You know it personally by experience. And the scars that bad fatherhood can leave can be very, very deep. It's really important to know that bad fatherhood does not mean that fatherhood is bad. We have got to, as we explore this, we've got to set aside our negative experiences of fatherhood and we've got to let God define it for us. We've got to let God show us what father really means. What He means for it to mean. And we need to do that so we can appreciate all the more this this son, this child, who would be called Everlasting Father. So we're going to do that. We're going we're to look and let God define it for us. Before we do that, though, I want to clear up a potential misunderstanding about Jesus being called Father uh, here in Isaiah 9.6. It does not mean that Jesus is God the Father. Okay, we, we believe and we teach, we understand that Scripture teaches that God is one God, one being who exists eternally in a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, that hurts my head. Yeah, I know, it does. But that's God is bigger than our brains, okay? And that, that is what Scripture teaches. Now, that truth was not fully revealed until Jesus came. You can see glimpses of it here and there in the Old Testament. In fact, you can see a glimpse of it right here in Isaiah 9-6, that this one would be called Mighty God, a child, a son. So we get glimpses of it, but it doesn't get fully disclosed until Jesus comes in in the the apostles' teaching. So we have, for example, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One being three persons. And many, many verses make it very clear that Jesus is the Son, not the Father. So look at 2 John 1.3. It says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. So Jesus is God, but He's not God the Father. He's God the Son. Okay, well wait. Then why is Jesus called, if, why is Jesus the Son called Everlasting Father here in Isaiah 9.6? Okay, it's because these four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, these four titles are describing His character, His qualities. 
what he's like, his attributes. So he's called Wonderful Counselor because he has the qualities of a wonderful counselor. And he's called Mighty God because he has the attributes, the qualities of Mighty God. And then he's called Everlasting Father for the same reason. He has the qualities of an Everlasting Father. That is, he's like a good father. He's like the best of fathers because he perfectly reflects the qualities of his father. You remember maybe that Jesus said one time, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Well, he's, he doesn't mean he is the father. What he means is when you look at him, you see the father's qualities, his attributes, like father, like son. You know, the old saying goes, So God the Father is a perfect father, and his son perfectly reflects his fatherly qualities. And here's why that's such good news. Because what that means is that Jesus, perfectly reflecting the qualities of a perfect father, always wants what is best for you and for me. Because of what God says the qualities of a good father are, we can reach that conclusion. So let's, we just want to set aside any confusions that we have about, you know, that we've picked up from bad fathers, and we want to learn from him what a good father is really like. Okay? And so, just as an added bonus, not only are we thinking about, um, celebrating Jesus for having the qualities of a good father. Those of us who are dads, you know, we might get some encouragement here or challenge. (laughs) Okay, so here's the first one we're going to look at. These are three qualities of good fathers that are always true of Jesus. Jesus is always like this. First quality, good fathers really care about their children. They really care about their children. You see this in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 uh, lists all kinds of reasons for giving praise to God. Why we should extol Him and brag about Him and tell others how great He is. And the reason that's there in verse 13 is this. As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Okay, so it's telling us that that God is worthy of praise because He's like a father in a certain way. And did you notice how He's like a good father? It doesn't say it's about what He thinks of His children. It's how he feels toward his children. And how he feels, what he feels, is compassion. Compassion. That means that God really cares about those who fear him. And fear him in this context, this this is not to be afraid of him, you know, to cringe and hide from him. 
This kind of fear is, is, is a synonym of faith. It means to hold Him in the highest regard, to revere Him, to be in awe of Him and trust Him. And just as a good father... Think about this. Okay, don't let this just slide past because this is, this is amazing. Just as a good father has deep feelings of concern and affection for his children... So God has deep feelings of concern and affection for those who are His children by faith. He knows. He knows our limits. He knows we're made of dust. He knows we're not indestructible like He is. Oh yeah, if you're in your teens and 20s, you might think you're indestructible eventually reality kicks in and you discover that isn't true. But good dads, they, they understand, you know, their children are limited. They understand their children are, you know, fragile in, in many ways. And so when their kids are hurting, when their kids are hurting, I'm not, I mean really hurting, not whining, okay? When their kids are really hurting, They feel for them. They want to help them. You know, I've told the story before, but one of our boys, when he was just a little guy, split his upper lip wide open. And, you know, so you got to take him to the ER. And and, uh, he's too little to understand what's going on. As far as he's concerned, everybody's just being mean to him, you know, sticking a needle in his lip taking a fish hook and stitching it up. And I remember how I felt. I was just like, ah, I hate that he's going through this. I felt just that, you know, I want to, I want to, if I could, I, I would spare him, but I couldn't. He had to go through it. But I just, you know, that feeling, well, all of you dads, all of you dads have had similar experiences or maybe worse You know what it means to have compassion for your children. Moms, you do too, of course. But this fatherly compassion. Jesus feels that toward you if you belong to Him by faith. He feels that for you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your pain that you don't understand. And so what we've got to do is in spite of what things might look like, in spite of what other voices might try to tell us, including your own voice in your own head, telling you, that Jesus must not care that much about you or He wouldn't be allowing this. If you belong to Him, He does care. He cares deeply. He cares more deeply than the best dad you know cares for his own children. So that's one quality. Second quality of a good dad that's always true of Jesus, good fathers give their children what they need. Need. Good fathers give their children what they need. So, Matthew 7, verse 9, 
Jesus is teaching a, a big group of people. And he says to them, which of you, which of you dads out there, if your son asks for bread, he's going to give him a rock, a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. <laughs> okay, here we go. Look at verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So think about that argument. The argument Jesus is making here. He says, if ordinary human fathers who are sinners will give their kids what they need, then God, who is the perfect Father, absolutely will. Of course He will. And that means that part of good fatherhood is providing for your children's needs. And any dad worthy of the title knows that. He knows, he feels deep down inside that he should do whatever he can do to see that his kids' needs are met. He feels that impulse. And we're talking needs here, okay? Not necessarily wants, but needs. That which your child definitely needs. You, you as a dad should feel an impulse to see that need met. And that's why 1 Timothy 5.8 says, this is really an amazing passage. First Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Deadbeat dad is an oxymoron. Those terms don't belong together. Any man who refuses to meet his family's needs, not because he can't, but because he just won't, he's not being a dad. He's being a big adolescent who needs to grow up. And, and the point is, Jesus is nothing like that. He's nothing like that. He is absolutely committed to giving you and giving me what we need not necessarily what we want, but what we need for our eternal joy, our eternal satisfaction. That's what he has in view. Now, what we need isn't always enjoyable. More on that in a minute. But it's so important that we know, we know this about Jesus, that he is absolutely committed to meeting our genuine needs. Look at Luke 12.32. This is good. Jesus is speaking here of God the Father. Okay, So he's talking about the Father. But remember, Jesus reflects his Father's heart, his Father's character perfectly. So this is how he feels too. And Jesus says to his followers, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Look at that carefully. It does not say he's been forced to give you the kingdom. He's been tricked 
into giving you the kingdom. He has to give you the kingdom. That's not what it says. It says he's pleased. He finds pleasure in giving you the kingdom. It makes him happy to give you the kingdom. And therefore, it makes Jesus happy to give His children, His people, what they need. Oh, if we could remember that, if I could remember that, in the midst of that hard time, to know that that's Jesus' heart toward me, toward you. That He is absolutely committed to our eternal joy and will do whatever it takes to bring that about. Which brings us to the third quality. Good fathers discipline their children. And some of you are thinking right now, I knew it. I knew it. I knew fatherhood had a dark side. If dad gets to discipline his kids, that means he's got a license to be mean to them. It does not mean that at all. Because true discipline is not dad taking out his frustrations and his anger and his, you know, on his children. True discipline is always for the child's best interests. Always for the child's welfare. At least that's biblical discipline. So uh, back to Hebrews 12. Verse 10 says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's the important, been trained. That's what discipline is all about. It's about training, teaching us to grow. Do you know any seriously undisciplined people? Do you know anybody that really has trouble with discipline? Because the reality is they're not happy people. Because they haven't learned to say no to foolish impulses that will mess up their lives. And anybody who has to live or work with a seriously undisciplined person is not a happy person either. So really, one of the worst things parents can do is because they want their child to not ever be upset at them or ever be unhappy with them, they refuse to correct them and they refuse to say no to them and they refuse to help that child learn how to say no to themselves. Well, that's not a loving thing to do. It's actually a very selfish thing to do. To just want your child to like you so you never do what you should do as a parent and teach them to say no. You know, the Bible actually says that a father who refuses to discipline his children hates them. Well, Jesus does not hate his people. He loves us. And so He disciplines us. So He will put us in situations 
and He will allow experiences into our lives that are painful so that we will develop the qualities of endurance and patience and compassion. Those are good things. Jesus wants you to be a strong, patient, compassionate person who who loves people, who wants to do good, who resists evil. Jesus has the heart of a good father toward you. Good fathers want what's best for their kids, and so they don't let them get away with stuff that's not good for them. Stuff that's going to ruin them in the long run. So you know those tendencies you have that aren't good for you? We all have them. Yeah, it's almost the new year, and sometimes people make New Year's resolutions and stuff. But you know, if you were to sit down with a pad of paper and go, okay, what are the qualities in my life? What are the tendencies, the impulses in my life that are not good? And you were to make a list, guess what? Jesus knows all about those, and he loves you enough to discipline those out of you. And you are not going to like it. But you need it. He wants to make you into the person that He made you to be, that He knows you can become. Because He's got the heart of a Father toward you. He's absolutely committed to doing that. And He has that heart toward you forever. That's the point of everlasting. Part of the problem with uh, us earthly dads We're not always consistent. Actually, we're consistently inconsistent. There's just times when we're we're, we're too tired to do what we should do, or or we're uh, grouchy, or we're, you know, arbitrary, or we we don't know. Well, Jesus is never grouchy. He's never arbitrary. He's never weary. He never wavers. It's not as though He wants to do good to us sometimes, and other times, nah, I don't think so. His fatherly attitude toward you and toward me is everlasting. It never wavers. It never comes to an end. I know that can be really hard to believe sometimes. I know there are times when it seems like He doesn't really want to do what's best for us. I know there's going to be times when you're going to be tempted to think, there's no way Jesus loves me that much because of what He's permitting in my life. And every time we think that, we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at ourselves we might say, well, I'm not worth loving that much, so of course Jesus loved me. Or we're looking at our circumstances and thinking, this just doesn't fit with Jesus loving me. We're looking at the wrong things. We need to look at Him. He's greater than we think He is. And it's His heart that's the issue. And it's the heart of a father toward a child He dearly loves.
He's wonderful counselor. He always knows what's best for you. He's mighty God. He can always do what's best for you. And he's everlasting father. He always wants what's best for you. And if you and I will trust him, he will be prince of peace for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this promise of your coming is amazing. Um, Help us embrace who you really are is that uh, Christmas carol says where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in. Lord, may we have those meek souls, those humble souls that know you are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, I pray for anybody who is here today who is really struggling to hold on to that truth because of the situation they're in or the pain they're experiencing. Lord, just help them see the beauty of our Messiah, of our Savior, Jesus. Help us know Him, His fatherly heart toward us, and give us peace. We pray these things in His name. Amen.